This Sunday on Capital Connection, the corruption capital of the country says it plans to clean up its act. New ethics laws coming in Illinois. Our voters don't trust us and it's up to us to restore that faith. Plus a whirlwind week in Springfield as lawmakers work through the holiday and into overtime to pass a budget. We have a balanced budget. We have no tax hikes. We were able to pressure the governor to keep continue and to keep his commitment to fully fund K-12 education and to keep the tax credit for the Invest in Kids scholarship program that allows children from the worst performing schools around the state to go to the school of their choice. And we sit down with two of the most powerful politicians in Illinois one-on-one -on -one this weekend. House Speaker Chris Welch from his district office. They never even offered their own map, but they complain about uh, somehow the maps screwed them. And Governor J.B. Pritzker from his office in Chicago. I wanted an independent commission. I still want an independent. I think that we should have an amendment to the Constitution that says that we have an independent commission. It's all coming up on a special edition of Capital Connection from Chicago. From the Illinois State Capitol Rotunda, Capitol Bureau Chief Mark Maxwell is asking the tough questions. This is Capital Connection. Welcome to Capital Connection. I'm Mark Maxwell reporting from the corruption capital of the country. We're here in Chicago this week after a whirlwind in Springfield, where one of the biggest issues, perhaps the only bipartisan issue to draw big attention was Illinois' efforts to clean up its act when it comes to self-dealing. Politicians looking out for themselves ahead of the public interest. A recent study from the University of Illinois Chicago found that Chicago itself was the most corrupt city in the country and Illinois ranks second with that distinction trailing only behind Louisiana. But now could those days be finally behind us with a new speaker at the helm and new rules on the way. I am pleased that today we were able to pass an overwhelmingly bipartisan ethics reform package. It was real. It was substantive. We made it happen because we know that we have to rebuild trust in what we do here in Springfield. We've reached a point of you know, really a tipping point of mistrust at every level. It's not just here in Illinois, but you know, our, our voters don't trust us and it's up to us to restore that faith. We were looking for a one, one year um, revolving door ban. We did get a step forward on that. And when, when you're coming from nothing, something's better than nothing. And we do have some prohibition on uh, legislators leaving and the next day lobbying. But this stuff is watered down. I mean, it's gonna look like you acquiesced. This, this is a broad-based package. The Statement of Economic Interest is a very strong step forward. Um, the pulling in consultants was incredibly important if we were going to uh, you know, really get a hold of all the influence that happens around here. And while an ethics deal did get done, a clean energy deal did not. The House was prepared to support Governor Pritzker's carbon tax and phase out coal plants by 2035. But the Senate had other plans. That would be huge for my district. Chris Belt is one of several Senate Democrats to raise concerns about closing the Prairie State coal plant. There's all the, the skilled labor and all the employment opportunities that come along with Prairie State. So that would be a huge financial uh, impact, negative impact on my whole district. Both for the jobs it provides and the electricity it sells to cities all across Illinois. The village of Rantoul has a contract with Prairie State 
where they essentially will have to purchase out to about 2040. If those coal plants go offline before the local contracts are up, certainly you would see electrical bills go up for those communities. The capital city runs its own coal plant at City Water Light and Power. Springfield, Illinois, their entire electric grid deals with coal. What are these people going to do when you can't flip the lights on in the state capitol building? That's where late concerns in the Senate derailed a clean energy deal Monday night, where the House... We were close, uh, and uh, we're going to continue to work on it. ...and the governor were both on board. You know, my hope is that we're, we'll end up with a good energy bill. But now... Last I heard, the carbon tax was not in the last round of negotiations. Governor Pritzker's plan to tax polluters is out after Senate President Don Harmon stepped in. I have led the charge on renewable energy and against fossil fuel for my entire time in the Senate. But the coal industry may have a close ally in his chief of staff. State records show Jake Butcher was a paid lobbyist for Prairie State just last year. The notion that I am somehow holding up uh, an energy bill on behalf of a fossil fuel provider is laughable. The transition to clean energy will come with a cost, but the question remains, who will foot the bill? Should it be the taxpayers somewhere down the road or should we put it with the same people making record profits, uh, in this case the polluters? The House and Senate could return to Springfield for a special session to hammer out that deal on energy in just a few weeks time, but to do so, we've passed the deadline. That means the House and Senate would almost certainly need to have bipartisan agreement on that energy deal. How that might throw a wrinkle in the works, especially after a rancorous session where Republicans accused Democrats of shutting them out of the process. It seems that the majority's version of bipartisanship is the majority doing whatever they want to behind closed doors and then put the vote up on the board and allow the minority to decide whether or not to vote for it. They're not really interested in that exchange of ideas and votes on the merit that is a hallmark of a well-functioning democracy. Still to come this hour, our one-on-one -on -one with Governor Pritzker and the maps. But when we come back, we sit down with House Speaker Chris Welch to talk ethics, energy, and his approach to holding the gavel. That's next. You're watching Capital Connection from the Illinois State Capitol. Speaker Welch, thanks for having us in your office here. Uh, thanks for uh, having me on your show. We believe the economy is built from the ground up. We do. Not by big corporations who exploit national crisis for profit. Who were you referencing on the floor, big corporations exploiting national crisis for profit? Well, we have numerous big corporations across this state. Uh, you probably saw a lot of them listed on the board uh, when you walked in my office here today. Uh, but what I was really talking about was we have a budget that's going to help small businesses. This is about helping the mom and pops across our state who didn't get PPP loans last year, who were left out of the first rounds of the big grant. Uh, we're trying to help rebuild our Illinois economy by helping small businesses. And so it was more about helping small businesses than really criticizing the big corporations, but we also know the big corporations haven't really helped us. You referenced the sign on the front of the door, I believe that talked about the lack of diversity in corporate boards. That's been a recurring theme in not just the distribution of loans, but also uh, the update to the marijuana bill, the cannabis bill. Uh, there were, uh, right now, industry dominated by rich white men, I believe uh, uh, Representative LaShawn Ford told us uh, two weeks ago. And now you're hoping to change that by changing the way the application deck was stacked up. 
is, is that a theme? Is that an aim of yours? And will that continue uh, to, to have more diversity in the way the state awards grants, awards funds? Why, why is that important to you? Well, I think it's important uh, for me and our entire caucus that we are a consistent voice for everyday people. Uh, and so if there's a theme, it's a theme that we're the voice for everyday people. And, you know, social equity has always been our goal in the cannabis space, right? And it didn't happen after the initial law was passed. And so we have heard from constituents and advocates for months regarding the social equity piece and black and brown people being left out. So this was an important piece of legislation for us to get done this session. And I think Rep. Ford did an excellent job working with uh, former Senator Toy Hutchinson and the governor's office and the advocates uh, and getting a great piece of legislation done that we do believe is gonna help uh, increase the diversity in the cannabis space. It seems the intent of lawmakers can be to help everyday people, but there are still always going to be insiders who just know how to work the levers of government to their advantage a little bit better. Well, that's true, but our goal is to put some policy in place that makes it more difficult for the insiders to take advantage of it and make it easier for the everyday people. Do you always get it right? You know, sometimes you have to take a step back and figure out how to make it even better. Uh, and hopefully this makes the initial law better. Republicans complained that uh, the budget directs about a billion dollars of federal funds, coronavirus relief funds, to Democratic districts, leaving them and their millions of constituents behind. Our constituents represent millions of Illinoisans, millions. And so while the Democrats were out there uh, taking a bunch of pork for themselves, our constituents were largely shut out. Um, and for what? And for what? So they give themselves a pay raise. How do you respond to that? <laughs> you know, Republicans complain a lot, Mark. And, you know, you have to be at the table and participatory uh, in the process. Uh, they like to push away from the process and then complain about what they don't get. Uh, similarly with redistricting. They never even offer their own map, but they complain about uh, somehow the maps screwed them. You have to participate in a process that you want to be included in. You can't constantly push across, push yourself away from the table uh, and expect to be included. Uh, that, that's the nature of how this business works. To use your words, did the maps screw Republicans? I don't believe so. I think these maps, uh, you know, as, as a renowned expert said, is a model for minority representation. And what these maps do is include minority representation. Uh, I said all along from day one uh, that diversity is the strength of our state and that any fair map would have to truly be reflective of that. You look at those maps, that's what's included. And uh, we got to be proud of that. When the court looks at maps, which we expect they will, they, it, the recent precedent has been th that that's the metric that they use. You can't gerrymander uh, to dilute uh, minority communities or uh, voters of color. You can't use those lines to chop up different uh, com communities of interest. But the courts have said you can gerrymander for political gain. They've pretty much spelled that out. Isn't that part of what's going on here? Are, do, you, do you see any, uh, I mean, Democrats want to elect Democrats, don't they? Drawing maps uh, certainly has a political component to it. However, there are several redistricting laws that have to be taken into concern, uh, concern when you're drawing maps. And most important of them all is the Voting Rights Act. To accommodate the issues that are contained within the Voting Rights Act, 
there is going to be a component of gerrymandering uh, because Voting Rights Act makes sure you maximize minority representation. Uh, and that's what we did here. We, we comply with the Voting Rights Act. Uh, and we should be proud of the fact that we were able to accomplish those things. And I, I think it's also important to point out that the 2021 maps look very similar to the 2011 map. Obviously, there are some changes in there. Population has shifted. Population has shifted a bit. But for the most part, there's a lot of similarities. And we know a court has looked at that 2011 map and have said that that was legal. In 2016 and in recent years, when you supported uh, a push for independent commissions to draw maps, you were serving here in the 7th District. We're in your district office today. But now you, do you feel an obligation to the entire state as House Speaker? And is that what shifted your perspective? Because, I mean, now you have members to look out for downstate who might have districts where, you know, they feel they would be more at risk if there were more Republican voters in their district. I mean, is that what shifted your position here, that now you're in a different role? Well, I don't think my position has shifted. If you read my entire op-ed from 2016, I talk about ensuring minority representation, ensuring that one person, one vote, uh, and that's extremely important. Could, could an independent commission not accomplish that? Well, let me, let me finish my answer, because I inherited this new, this new job on January 13th. We have a constitutional deadline of June 30th. There is absolutely no way of getting to an independent commission uh, without ignoring our constitutional obligation. And I took two oaths on January 13th, and that was to follow the Illinois Constitution and the U.S. Constitution. I did that twice on January 13th, and the Republicans were asking us to ignore our constitutional mandate to draw maps by June 30th. That's what we did. Along with the offer, though, that if you went to this overtime toward the bipartisan commission, that's a distinction from an independent one, they have offered to allow an independent commission to draw the maps. That independent commission would hand it to the constitutionally required, it being the map. They would hand the map to the bipartisan commission. And Republicans have said, we'll sign that one. D do you not trust them to do that? No. There's a bit of a trust, trust deficit then. We're Democrats. They're Republicans. There are key differences in us. We, have, we believe in different core values. Across this country, Republicans are making it a part of their party platform to disenfranchise voters. They believe in voter suppression. We believe in letting the people vote. We believe more participation in our democracy is important. They want less. And so do I believe that a party that wants less voter participation is going to do the right thing when it comes to uh, our maps? Of course not. But the most important thing to do here was to follow our constitutional mandate. It's interesting to hear your perspective after the completion of this first session. Uh, right at the start, when lawmakers came back after that brief hiatus in the early part of session, committees seemed to approve bills left and right. Part of that, I think, was a backlog of bills that had built up uh, during the year we were off. But uh, some of your colleagues in the House felt free. Your predecessor was a bit more controlling of the process. Uh, is it? your intent to be more hands-off, and why? Well, I go back to that uh, statement about democracy. I think that it's important to uh, let the process play out. One of the things that members talked about during the race for speaker was having uh, more say in our process. Uh, I believe in that, and uh, having been a rank-and-file member for eight years and, and knowing exactly what they were talking about, uh, you know, I promised 
uh, more input, more say, uh, more empowerment of our members. Uh, that's what they got, and that's how we're going to continue to operate. I don't know that it's going the same way in the Senate. I can't speak for the Senate. I'm Speaker of the House. Yeah. And uh, as long as I'm Speaker of the House, uh, I'm going to work with uh, our members, both Democrats and Republicans, uh, and try to move things in a positive direction. We've covered a lot of what uh, the House and Senate have accomplished, but the one big elephant left in the room is the one thing that you didn't get done, energy. What happened there? Well, we were close. We almost got it done that night, believe it or not, on Monday uh, the 31st. Uh, but we're going to get it done. Energy is a complex issue. Um, you know, it's not, not easy. Uh, but, you know, the governor and Exelon have reached a deal in principle. Now it's being drafted up and T's are being crossed, I's are being dotted. Uh, and we're already polling members for possible dates to return for a special session because that's important to us. Uh, and, and we're going to get it done. Uh, someone has to pay for the transition to cleaner energy. It's going to cost the someone. Uh, why should taxpayers or homeowners or ratepayers pick up the tab when it was polluters, namely natural gas and coal, who made the mess? Why should someone else pay for the mess they created? Well, listen, Mark, I believe in uh, many of the principles of uh, clean energy. And in order to get there, uh, in many instances, you got to pay for it. Uh, how we actually pay for it, uh, the details will be spelled out in the proposal that comes forward. Uh, and I don't want to get ahead of that process. Well, our reporting is that the governor's proposed carbon tax, which I believe you supported, had to come out of that deal to get it done. That's correct. Why, if, if we're already going to tell coal and natural gas, hey, your, your days are numbered, we're going to move away from you, we're going to phase you out, we can't pay for the transition to cleaner energy with a carbon tax in the process? Well, I mean, I think the, it's a fair proposal that's going to come forward. Uh, I don't want to get ahead of that proposal. That's going to cost ratepayers more. It, I don't want to get ahead of the proposal, but I think it's a, it's a compromise deal that ev I think everyone's going to be happy with. Uh, this is very important uh, because it accomplishes our clean energy goals in this state. Uh, and Exelon agreed. Uh, it's also going to contain uh, ethics uh, language in the energy space. In addition to the ethics proposal that we passed, there's going to be ethics language contained in this proposal. I think um, when, when, when it's all out there on the table for the folks to see in the next, next uh, few days, uh, people will be pleased with the result. You mentioned ethics. You also passed an ethics bill that has a revolving door ban of six months. Once a, lo lo lobby, a lawmaker leaves office, they have to wait six months for a cooling off period. Should the governor sign this, we expect he will. State government workers have a longer revolving door ban of a full year. Sometimes that revolving door swings both ways. It's not always the people who leave government to go into lobbying. Sometimes they leave lobbying and go into government. That was the case for Senate President Harmon's chief of staff, Jacob Butcher, who lobbied for Prairie State the biggest coal plant polluter in our state. I have been fighting for renewable energy for my entire time here in Springfield. I fought for renewable energy when people laughed at me for fighting for it. So the notion that I am somehow holding up uh, an energy bill on behalf of a fossil fuel provider is laughable. Uh, at the same time as the Senate president, I have a responsibility to my caucus and many members of my caucus have been relying on the framework that the energy working group had articulated uh, on municipal and co-op uh, facilities. The governor's agreement with uh, Exelon was a significant departure from that framework. 
Were you comfortable with how close he was to the coal industry during these energy talks? Well, I, th I think there's some uh, always things that we can do better. I think that we need to take a look at uh, what we've done in the past and see if we can do things better. Um, that's just how I operate. Uh, again, I know in the House we are uh, doing things to try to rebuild trust in what we do. Uh, I certainly can't tell the Senate how to do their job, uh, but I would certainly hope that they're on the same page as we are uh, with putting things in place so that people can start to trust us again. People pretty close to that negotiation were frustrated. They thought there was a deal ready to go and it, it, the Senate was the sticking point on the carbon tax. Would it be just a coincidence that a coal lobbyist just a year ago was now in government working against a carbon tax that would cost his former clients money? Mark, let me say this. We were close that night. We were almost done. Some things did come up at the end of the night uh, that uh, prevented the deal from being done that night. But the deal is done now. We're going to return. Uh, both chambers are going to vote on it. Uh, I will tell you, going forward, I think both chambers need to continue to, to do better. Uh, when it comes to putting some processes in place so people trust what we do. There was one other thing that did not get completed just yet, and that was uh, fixing the FOID card. Uh, where are you at, where is your caucus at on mandatory fingerprints or voluntary fingerprints to get this done? Well, our, our caucus passed a bill mandatory uh, fingerprints. over to the Senate that said mandatory fingerprints. We have a lot of people in our caucus that support that. We also received a bill uh, from the Senate that didn't include that but has a lot of other good things in it. Uh, and so we're, we're talking to our members and polling, uh, uh, seeing if the numbers are there to, to vote on that one. Uh, uh, but I expect uh, some action on that uh, in the coming days as well. I think it's important to uh, reflect back on this session and also learn a little bit about your thinking, your negotiation style. Uh, every time a new speaker takes the helm, it's interesting to learn their perspective on how they see the power of the position and what you can do with it. Uh, how it, your I know you're always going to be viewed in the light of your predecessor, I think. He was there for a long time. Yeah. He was called the Velvet Hammer. I think that implied he had a soft touch but could negotiate behind the scenes. Are, are, are you different from him in some way? And how do you view uh, your job now that you've tried it on for size for a bit? Well, I mean, I think I'm very different from Speaker Madigan. I think that just by the nature of who we are, we're, we're different. I mean, I'm a black guy in America. Uh, our, our life experiences are different. So my approach to government is a lot, a lot different. Uh, I think I am a little bit more open and accessible, uh, but I'm new, you know. Uh, um, uh, uh, I'm, I'm hoping that, you know, uh, I can continue down this way uh, just being me, right? And uh, that's all I know how to do things is to just be me. Um, are there some things that we're going to do different? I think so. Uh, I think we've already shown some of those things this first session. Uh, as we assess, we're going to probably make some more changes here and there. Uh, but by and large, I'm, I'm very happy uh, where we're headed. Politics can You're watching Capital Connection from the Illinois State Capitol. The biggest political fight in Illinois seems to have reached a near conclusion. The House and Senate have sent the state legislative maps and the Supreme Court maps to Governor Pritzker's desk. All that's left is his signature on them and then the court battle that is almost certain to follow. But congressional Republicans still have not seen their map and how the state house might chop it up. We asked Senate President Don Harmon, where is that congressional map? I don't know where those maps are coming from. I've gotten all sorts of panic calls from people talking about some map or another. They're not maps that we've produced. Where are, where are the congressional maps? 
Uh, we have not prepared them yet. Why not? When? Sorry, why, why not? When are they coming? Uh, they will come as, as soon as we are in a position to prepare them. With the census data? Uh, we're working on those now. We're, we're considering uh, uh, the options that we have. The House and Senate still have to draw those congressional maps, but Democrats in the House and Senate also pushed the primary election in 2022, 15 weeks back from March 15th to June 28th. That gives Republicans in the primary contest more time to weaken each other before one emerges and tries to challenge the Democratic incumbents that hold every statewide office in Illinois. Con uh, Republican Congressman Rodney Davis could very well become one of those should he decide to throw his hat into the ring. He continues to take issue with Governor Pritzker's stance not to veto these partisanly drawn maps. It's very frustrating when once again we see really Democrats protecting Democrats, Democrats protecting their supermajorities. We've seen some of the most corrupt Democrat politicians in Illinois history recently leave the state house. At, at some point, when do the people of Illinois come before the Democrats protecting their own power? So on Thursday, we sat down with Governor Pritzker in his Chicago office to ask him how he plans to handle these maps. The maps are on their way to your desk. When are you going to sign them? Well, I'm still evaluating maps. And, uh, are so, they fair? And I'll let you know as soon as I can. Are they fair to Republicans? Still evaluating that. Uh, that's not the, the way to judge things, right? The, that's the, the way they're judging it. They say it screws well, Republicans. Well, I get it. You know, Tim Butler stood up at a press conference and said that uh, the definition of a fair map is one that elects more Republicans. Does that sound like the definition of a fair map to you? Um, the fact is that uh, fairness is about the Voting Rights Act in Illinois, making sure that's been followed, the Voting Rights Act of the United States, and the Supreme Court rulings that have been made about map making. Uh, and then finally, the you know, reflection of the diversity of the state of Illinois. We're pushing back a primary election. Uh, uh, Senate President Harmon said that we're waiting for census data to do the congressional maps. Why wait for census data to do congressional maps if not for the state legislative maps? Well, we have a constitutional requirement to get that done by June 30th. And if, if there Democrats are adjustments, want complete control of the process. Uh, no, that's to avoid what is clearly not a democratic process where you're pulling a name out of a hat to determine what map you're going to do. This is something that the Republicans should have participated in, did not put forward their own map. Note, they did not put forward their own map. So I have nothing to evaluate the current map up against that we could have had in the state of Illinois. I would hope that you know whatever map we end up with in the state is reflective of the census data when it does come out, but we needed to get a map. Now, I still have to evaluate that map. Republicans have said, though, uh, you, you mentioned pulling the name out of a hat. There are other ways. That bipartisan commission that would probably have gridlock that might go to the hat could adopt a map drawn by an independent commission. They said they would do that. They said if if you go to that process, do you believe them? They've said a lot. Uh, that, that you yourself true. gave that idea that isn't before. true. I wanted an independent commission. I still want an independent. I think that we should have an amendment to the Constitution that says that we have an independent commission. They didn't do that. That's not what we ended up with in the state of Illinois. So it's up to me. I'm going to have to make a decision about whether these maps are fair. But I will say that uh, I do think that there may need to be adjustments made if, when we do get a map based upon the census data that comes in. Is that a little bit of leverage there over this energy debate, the holdout between the Senate and the House? No? Okay. All right, Governor, thanks. And we'll be back in just a moment.
You're watching Capital Connection from the Illinois State Capitol. That does it for us this week. Thank you for joining us. Our full extended interviews are up on our website and our podcasts. You can catch all of our conversations there. We hope you'll join us at the same time next Sunday for Capital Connection. I'm Mark Maxwell. Stay connected to the Capitol all week. Follow us on Twitter at CapConnectIL or watch reports from our Capitol team on WCIA3. You can also find us on Facebook or WCIA.com.